This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. Don't fuck with the Lords of Hell. Don't fuck with the babysitter. Truer words have never been spoken. Welcome back, everybody, to your latest and greatest, possibly, blast from the past with your lovely and talented hosts here at 80s Revisited. I, of course, am your main host, your babysitter, per se, Trey Harris, and the very intelligent child I'm watching is my producer, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. (laughs) Not the best segue, but... (laughs) We just roll with the punches here. So welcome back, everybody. Adventures in babysitting. This is a this is this was a fun one for me, but let's get right into it as we try to do here on the podcast, at least at first before we get all tangential tangential. Uh, But Adventures in Babysitting, July 3rd, 1987. Missed the anniversary by uh, just a few days. Uh, IMDb gives it a 6.9. Rotten Tomatoes, 86 percent critics, 64 percent percent audience big kind of drop off there was kind of surprised thought i assumed this one would be much more uh congruent or at least closer than over 22 uh, percent difference uh nevertheless budget seven million estimated opened 2.9 not too bad uh i thought i put on here what it opened with uh neglected to do that on my notes uh however it would domestically go on to gross 34.3 million and as unfortunately couldn't find any information on rentals and all that other fun stuff. Directed, first-time motion picture director at this time, Christopher Columbus, fresh off discovering America, went straight into film, despite, you know, all the racism and stuff and enslaving Native Americans and all that kind of stuff that it led to. Went straight into film with no consequences. Wink, wink. Of course, I'm talking about the director, Chris Columbus. Uh, he of Home Alone fame, Harry Potter, uh, Rent. But yeah, this was his first movie. And I must say... uh had an act for it right from the start, to be honest with you, in terms of directing. Uh, written by David Simpkins. He did a few episodes of Briscoe County Jr. and Lois and Clark, but he actually has more success as a producer. He produced the aforementioned Briscoe County Jr., uh, Dark Angel with James Cameron, Roswell, and Charmed. The only show of those I ever watched was Briscoe County Jr., but it was great because it had, uh, obviously, Bruce Campbell and... Uh, uh, shoot, show enough from uh, Last Dragon. I forget the actor's name. Shame on me. Uh, cinematography by Rick Waite. Veteran of the podcast, he was uh, the cinematographer on Red Dawn, Footloose, and Cobra, uh, and starring the lovely, beautiful, 80s dream girl, uh, Elizabeth Shue, spelled S-H-U-E, don't spell it with an O, uh, as Chris, of course, Hollow Man, Back to the Future 2 and 3, she was the replacement Jennifer in the series, she was a love interest in Karate Kid, and of course, uh, let's not forget, she got her uh, she got an Oscar nomination Opposite the greatest actor of all time, Nicolas Cage, for Leaving Las Vegas, in which she was nominated, but of course, The Cage won. Uh, She was also, uh, in this film, she was 24 at the time of filming, playing a 17-year-old, as is quite typical, These uh, still to this day in movies. Uh, Keith Coogan was Brad, he was in Toy Soldiers, he was Young Todd, or the voice of Young Todd, I should say, in Disney's Fox and the Hound. And he apparently with his career, he had a thing for playing in movies about babysitters because he also was in the nineties babysitting comedy. Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead with, uh, Christina, uh, married with children. Um, Applegate. Applegate. 
which is the reason I saw that movie. And I've only seen it once because of her. Uh, uh, rounding out the cast, we had Anthony Rapp as Daryl. Uh, not D.A.R.Y.L.Daryl, but just a regular Daryl in this one. Uh, Beautiful Minds. I didn't realize this. He's in Star Trek Discovery. Uh, Dazed and Confused. But the main thing I know him from is the also directed by Chris Columbus, Rent. Uh, and he also originated the role of, was it Mark? I think he was Mark. Yeah, he's Mark in the uh, in Rent. And, but he originated the role on stage, on Broadway as well. Because a lot of the cast from the movie, with the exception of Rosario Dawson, were the ones from uh, the original Broadway cast, I should say. Uh, this was also his first actual film role as well. Uh, Maya Bruton was Sarah. She was actually in Back to the Future as well, but she was in the original Back to the Future, whereas Elizabeth Shue was in two and three. So between the cast of this movie, you got all the Back to the Futures represented in Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, if you need to. Uh, she was also in uh, Miscellaneous TV, including an episode of the Michael Landon starring Highway to Heaven. Uh, Calvin Levels was Joe. He did a lot of miscellaneous TV, but he was in uh, an underrated 90s action flick, Point of No Return, with the lovely Bridget Fonda. And if you have heard of the movie Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag, he was one of the heads in the titular duffel bag. Uh, the lovely Penelope Ann Miller was Brenda in this. She was also in Carlito's Way and the Relic. However, most people should remember her as the teacher and wife of Mr. Chris from Kindergarten Cop. Uh, and this was actually her first movie as well. So in the comic book world, Adventures in Babysitting was the first appearance of Chris Columbus, Anthony Rapp, and Penelope Ann Miller. So a lot of firsts in this film. Uh, not the first movie, however, for Bradley Whitford. Big character actor. He was Mike in this. Uh, Young Guns 2, Robocop 3. Tons of TV. You've seen him and stuff. But most recently, and uh, most memeably, I guess you could say, he was in Get Out. He was the dad. Uh, I see the meme all the time, like, Barack Obama, I vote for him for a third term. Greatest president of my lifetime meme. But he's the, he's the dad from Get Out. The villainous, spoiler alert, dad from Get Out. And speaking of character actors, I think Bradley Whitford had like 120 roles or something. Uh, Ron Canada, not sure if he's actually Canadian or not, uh, but he was Mike in this, the, the uh, kind of the, lack, the main lackey to the, uh, the gangster. Tons of TV, Cheers, Star Trek The Next Generation, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. But I remember him from Home Alone 2 because he's the cop that Catherine O'Hara talks to when she's, excuse me, looking for Kevin. And he goes, is there anywhere you know that he might be? And she's like, oh, my God, I know where he is. And he goes, hop in. So that's my, when I think of Ron Canada, I think of Home Alone Part 2. Uh, and then let's see, uh, Albert Collins, uh, the great, legendary Albert Collins. Who's Albert Collins, Trey? Well, unless you're, you know, you know you're a guitarist and you're a fan of the blues, you might not know who Albert Collins is. But uh, obviously, from the context clues I've just given you, he's the performer in the blues club that they go to after escaping the bad guys in this, who says, "Can't nobody can leave without singing the blues. That's Mr. Albert Collins. Uh, it's his band in the film as well. He was known as the Iceman, no relation to Val Kilmer's Iceman. Uh, he was noted for his powerful playing and use, his use of altered tunings in a capo. Uh, his long association with the Telecaster, the Fender Telecaster, I should say, led to the title of Master of the Telecaster. Uh, he was uh, an inspiration to a generation of guitar players, mainly in Texas, where he was from, including the legendary Stevie Ray Vaughan and Jimmy Vaughan. And he was among a small group of Texas blues players, along with Johnny Guitar Watson and Johnny Copeland, who shaped the legacy of T-Bone Walker into a modern blues template that was to have a major influence on many later players. And Rolling Stone ranked Collins at number 56 
on its list of the 100 greatest guitarists of all time. And just for reference, number three, top three guitarists of all time, according to Rolling Stone, number three, Jimmy Page of Zeppelin, number two, anti-vaxxer Eric Clapton, and number one, according to Rolling Stone, of the greatest guitarists of all time, none other than Jimi Hendrix. And rounding out the cast, confirming the tease I gave at the end of last episode, Thor himself, the real Thor, the true Thor in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Vincent D'Onofrio as Dawson slash Thor in this film. Of course, Full Metal Jacket, The Cell, Men in Black. And he actually truly is in the MCU as Kingpin in Daredevil. And it has been confirmed he's coming back because nobody knew, nobody thought he was actually dead. If you did, shame on you because you know what? If you don't see the body... Probably not dead. That's one of the oldest tropes in filmmaking. Uh, so if you hear a gunshot off screen, they're not dead. That's leaving the door open, people. But yeah, uh, which I'm fine with. Totally glad. I'm absolutely happy he's coming back. He was great kingpin. Although uh, I really don't think Kate Bishop should have beat the crap out of him like she did in the Hawkeye series. But that's just me. You got to have power levels and you have to respect the power levels of your characters in these films, people. But anyway, adventures in babysitting. Now, Jesse, you said something while we were looking at the clip before. You said you, you're pretty familiar with this movie, so let, let's let you kick it off. When's the last time you've seen it, and what's your memory of it? This is one of those movies when we had cable for a short moment. It was one of those that just played a lot, <laughs> kind of like over the top from last week. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so watched this a bunch. I want to say the other babysitting movie as well, Christina Applegate's babysitting movie of course that was much later but yeah yeah this is one that always just caught starting from the middle sometime and then watched it to the end but i have fond memories of it i enjoyed it um yeah it's just like a road trip movie in a way yeah pretty that's that's pretty much exact exactly it one thing i really like about it uh i haven't seen it in probably i saw it when it came out on vhs when my mom rented it and then occasionally, like, you know, like exactly like you said, like on cable and all that, but it, it's, it moves. It doesn't really, it kind of, it gets to the, it gets to the point fairly quickly. And then it's just, you know, plot point, plot point, plot point, plot point, plot point, And it just keeps moving, yep. which makes it, uh, cause it's, you know, for a comedy, it's an hour and I think 40, hour 40, hour 47, pretty long for a comedy, uh, especially in the eighties, but it moves really good. Uh, it has good good pacing to it, I guess I should say. Uh, but uh, yeah, any other thoughts on it? I mean, have you seen it recently or just you just kind of got those uh, memories from I want to say it's been ago. five years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. But uh, in all honesty, I thought I was, I, I enjoyed, I thoroughly enjoyed watching because I had memories of it. You know, like uh, obviously the Thor part is what always, as a, as a male in the 80s, that's what always struck me. It's like Thor? Thor's in this movie? Uh, and you know, the Sarah character is, is every comic book loving character, uh, kid from the eighties pretty much. Mm. Although in the eighties, wasn't that big a fan, fan of Thor knew who he was, but you know, I think in the eighties, I was more Spider-Man. I was, that was my Spider-Man age, mm. which if you're reading comics, you should be reading the current run of amazing Spider-Man quick aside, quick tangential comment. Cause it's really good. But, uh, yeah, that was the thing. Like, uh, cause you know, as a, as a kid, it was more like the, you know, they're, you know, they're outside on the end of the building at the end. They're, go, you know, they're being chased. Car, you got car chases and you got a, a sort of a shootout and all the other stuff. Uh, but the thing, what I really enjoyed about watching it this time as an adult, for actually literally for the first time as an adult with 
a child that is young enough to not quite as old as Sarah was in the film, but a young child. We're like, you know, babysitting is loot. We haven't had to hire a babysitter yet because we've had family, you know, but that's something that we're looking at. It was just like, God, if this, if my child was involved in any of this, <laughs> I'm never leave. I'm never leaving it with anyone except myself again. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it, the, I think, I think it's a testament to Chris Columbus as a director. Of course he didn't write it, but I mean, directing is equal. You know, when it comes to making a movie, when all the things work in, in together, it's, it's magic. I'm not saying this movie's magic, but you know, I think the script is honestly kind of weak. It's not quite that fu- as funny as I remembered it being maybe because that's the runtime. Uh, but the joke, like the, the comedic bits, like some of them, when they hit, they really hit. Some of them are just like, eh, you know, it's, that's meant to be silly. But I think the talent of Chris Columbus, much akin to Home Alone, uh, is that he has a, he has a good balance of uh, heart and comedy. Although, let me, let, me, let me take one step back. He, John Hughes, I say, I would say, has one of the best, had one of the best, God rest his soul. Uh, you know, of course, in a, in, a, in a comedy, I prefer I prefer the Happy Gilmore approach. It's a 90-minute movie, and the drama is like, oh, Grandma, you're losing your home, and it's back to the absurd. They solve the problem. It's like, Grandma, I got your home back. Oh, Happy, I love you. And then that's it. That's the only seriousness in a comedy. Uh, but, you know, John Hughes, um, Chris Columbus, very they're very good at that balance between the two to where, you know, it's even when it's dramatic, they still have the, little, the humor in there a bit to where it keeps you kind of laughing. Keeps you, it keeps a smile on your face while you're watching it. Uh, you know, what? actually, I take it back. I'd say, honestly, John Hughes might be a little bit better. At, I mean, I'm sorry. Chris Columbus might be a little bit better at, at that to me than John Hughes, because when John Hughes does his drama, I'm thinking of The Breakfast Club, my favorite personal favorite John Hughes movie. When it gets to the dramatic part, it's like deep drama. <laughs> Where like where Anthony or I forget his name. I've seen Breakfast Club in like probably three or four years. Shame on me. But Anthony Michael Hall's character is like we start bringing the gun to school. I mean, it's like especially in this day and age, you know, it's a flare gun, but you don't know that till they ask him at the end. Uh, you know, but it gets like John Hughes. He can get pretty, dare I say, dark at least in the Breakfast Club with some of the stuff. But uh, Columbus, you know, when he has high drama or high danger. You're, you know, you're still not, you're kind of in the moment, but you're not quite as uh, worried, I guess I should say. You know, you're never worried, I guess, in a, in a Chris Columbus movie that something necessarily bad is going to happen, which is probably why he didn't direct, uh, Harry, he stopped directing the Harry Potters after part three, I believe, uh, or with part three, uh, the, the, whichever one's the Prisoner of Azkaban. That's, I think that's the first one he didn't do. I yeah, think he, he did the first, did the first two. two. Yeah, and, and honestly, if you watch all the Harry Potters, after the first two, they lose... They're, they're not kids' movies anymore, mm-hmm. which I'm not a Harry Potter fan. I mean, I like Harry po- the movies. I enjoy the movies. I'm not, I've am not. i never read the books. I don't have any Harry Potter paraphernalia. I, you know, They're fine. I'm not a hater. But you can clearly see the difference in tone. But I appreciate that because it's almost the reverse of what's happened with Star Wars. You know, it's kind of well, – it's, Star Wars has come back to being kind of adult and, you know, theme thematically like with Kenobi – but the last episode, at least, with the drama, you know, some of the aspects of the Mandalorian, it, it, it is staying a little bit grown up. Uh, whereas Harry Potter, you know, the first two movies are very lighthearted, very, and I don't mean this in a negative way, like Kitty in a sense. And then, like, you know, the, those characters are growing up. Things are, life is different when you get older, and they carry that through that series. And I really appreciate it, the Harry Potter series, for doing that. 
but again, like <laughs> if you go from Chris Columbus, a Chris Columbus directed film to a Alfonso Cuaron directed film. I mean, those are two very, very different directors, uh, but it works. It worked really good in that series. But uh, anyway, back to Adventures of Babysitting. I forgot where I was going. But uh, yeah, uh, I think that's the, that's the charm of the film. Even though I would say it's long for a comedy, no matter what decade you're in, to be honest with you. Uh, it, it moves. It, you're, I stayed invested in it, and it was just uh, – it maintains the personality or the uh, – I guess the personality might be the wrong word. Uh, the uh, – what's a better What's a better word? You go, eh, never mind. You get what I'm saying. Uh, throughout the film, it maintains that the tone, the, the same kind of tone to where like it's it's yeah, you know they're in quote unquote danger, but you know you're never really worried that like one of the kids is gonna get shot or fall off a building to their death or anything. You know, uh, so I guess it's kind of like Solo because <laughs> you know Han Solo and Chewbacca are never in danger no matter what's happening. They're gonna get out of it somehow. Uh, but uh, anyway, but. Watching it again for the first time in at least probably 30 years, to be honest with you. Uh, still, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, my, only, my only complaint would be is that it wasn't – and it's really not a complaint. It's just watching it as an, with adult eyes instead of children's eyes. It wasn't as funny as I remembered it being to me or, in, or uh, as a kid. But you know what? 80s Elizabeth Shue, I'll watch that all day long. <laughs> Because uh, she's fantastic in this film, the act, all the all the all the act, all the kid actors, all of them, honestly, do really well. Uh, the villains are chewing up some scenery, which is great. You know, it, it, again, I think uh, I want to lend that a little bit to Columbus's touch and his directing in terms of like maintaining that tone to where you have like you know the country folk running into the city folk, so to you know, kind of dichotomy, which is basically exactly what's happening in the movie. You know, so you know the city folk are like, "Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Let me get that door for you. Let me help you, ma'am." And then the city folk are like, "Don't touch me. Don't hold the door open for me. What are you doing? You crazy? You want money? You trying to rob me?" You know, that's that stereotype of <laughs> that people in cities aren't nice compared to country people, which in my experience isn't true. <laughs> it's more so just who you happen to run into at what time of day. But uh, yeah, in closing, as far as my thoughts on the movie, it's if you haven't seen it in forever, worth watching for sure. Uh, like I said, it's got heart. It's got charm. It's a fun. It's a fun movie. It's entertaining. Kids will like it. Uh, as we open the show with, you got it. It's got not one, not one, but two f bombs in it. Uh, which, uh, by the way, this is on Disney Plus. However, you'll get a warning in the beginning that it has been edited for content. So we can have the Kardashians doing all their things that are harmful for you know the physical image of young girls in this country, but we can't have them say fuck twice. And adventures in babysitting. So that's the that's the real thing to protest Disney about. Not because whatever. Oh, oh, what what's that woke alert? All these people. I just see every now and then, like you know, Lightyear. You know, apparently it tanked at the box office because one of his superiors has a wife and she's female, and they just have a hug or something. I haven't seen Lightyear. Can't wait to see it. But it's gonna be on Disney Plus in like a month, so I'll wait. You know, wait till then. But uh, whatever people got to be angry at Disney about, you know, for their being in, them being even the slightest bit inclusive, you know, it's right. just like it's just oh, to be an American in 2022, mm-hmm. you know, and to care about your country to where you, you know, you can't woke and progressive alert. You know, if, if you think this country is fine as it is, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. 
it's, you know, it's, it is, it is of my opinion that, you know, if you love something, you know, just like, you know, relationship, you know, you love somebody warts and all, so to speak, you know, if your wife's chew, drools when she sleeps or uh, chews with her mouth open or, you know, your husband leaves a toilet seat up, seat up and doesn't clean the shower after he shaves or whatever. Yeah, that's aggravating. You don't like it. And you probably tell him. So you probably do something about it by telling him about it, you know, but you do it because you love him. And that's the thing people need to remember when people are talking about how they wish this country was, they're not being communist or they're not being fascist. Some of the time, some people absolutely are. Don't get me wrong. There are far right and far left nuts in this country that want to take it way to the extreme. But, uh, you know, if you love something, you can you can realize what's wrong with it and work to fix it. So there you go. End of end of woke alert. Back to the movie. As Joe Bob would say, back to the movie. Uh so yeah, trivia-wise, some interesting tidbits about this one. Uh, Bradley Whitford, that's actually his actual Camaro in the film. That means the license plate that says so cool was his actual license plate. Now, Bradley Whitford, you starred in more movies than I ever will in my lifetime. You're a fantastic character actor. But I don't know if you were ever quote-unquote so cool. Wink, wink, just teasing. Uh, the tow truck driver hits a lawn jockey after reaching uh, the house, which kind of became a uh, Chris Columbus calling card because if you remember – Pretty much the same looking lawn jockey that's knocked over not only in Home Alone 1, but also in Home Alone Part 2, Lost in New York. Uh, Sarah's Gizmo backpack was obviously a reference to Gremlins, but that was written by Chris Columbus. Uh, Anthony Rapp actually dyed his naturally blonde hair, because everything I've ever seen him in, he's blonde hair, uh, such as Rent. Uh, He dyed it red for the movie because the producers were concerned that if he had blonde hair... Audiences will be reminded of Anthony Michael Hall for some reason, which, why is that a problem? I don't know, but so he dyed his hair red for the movie instead of blonde, which it turned out more brown than red because dye blonde hair red, it's not going to look, you know, you got to dye it <laughs> dye a couple of times, I guess, from what I've heard. I think one of the funniest things is, uh, funny, funniest things about this film, or maybe most interesting, I guess would be a better way to put it. One of the producers is none other than Deborah Hill. Now, Deborah Hill has another colleague that she works with, has worked with many times in her past. Uh, in, when she was alive, she did pass away a few years ago. Uh, rest in peace. Uh, but that would be Mr. John Carpenter. And Deborah Hill and John Carpenter produced and made Halloween, which you see on a screen. The babysitter is watching Halloween in this movie, uh, another movie about babysitters. So, But also Deborah Hill, the first time you see Michael Myers on screen, even as a young boy, the first you see his hands take a knife out of a drawer. The first time you ever see the character Michael Myers on screen, it is in fact Miss Deborah Hill's hands picking up those that knife for the camera. Uh, and also, you hear the you hear the, the theme in the background too in that scene if you listen carefully. And we always like to talk about what if, who could have been who in these movies because that's always fun. Uh, but uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus auditioned for the lead role, but she withdrew. Uh, Jodie Foster also withdrew. And in terms of the finalists, that left Michelle Pfeiffer, meow, uh, Valerie Bertinelli, Miss Eddie Van Halen for a while, and Elizabeth Shue and Justine Bateman as the only choices. Uh, Bateman withdrew from the project due to creative conflicts. Pfeiffer left to go do the we- wit- witches. <laughs> the witches of Eastwick with, uh, who's that, Cher and I think Susan Sarandon and Jack Nicholson. Maybe I have to cover that one because that's a great movie from my memory. And then Valerie Bertinelli lost out to Elizabeth Shue on the final day of auditions. And speaking of auditions, Sharon Stone auditioned. And actually, I found this super weird. The first choice for the lead role was Kathleen Turner. 
1987 Kathleen Turner. Was she going to be a 17-year-old? Because that's a huge stretch. That's a different movie. Uh, yeah, that's it couldn't be Adventures in Babysitting. It just had to be like the the family's going to, to the mall and you know the mom gets stranded with them in the city or something. You know, it's not that. But yeah, uh, I think personally, at the, out of all those names listed, I think they got the right person. I think Elizabeth Shue was perfect for this role. Uh, she's, I mean, she's 23 again, playing a 17 year old. Uh, but she, she has that air about her and that look about her. And I mean, no disrespect, but she looks like, you know, that girl, that senior girl, when you're a freshman, just like, you know, uh, was characters named Brad. Was it Brad? Yeah. You know, he's in love with her. I, I had, I had several babysitters over the, when I was a kid that I was just madly in love with, like, Oh, she's Marcy's coming to babysit. Yo, how about you? Like, yes. <laughs> you know? Go take my bath, shower up, wash my hair. You know, I'm looking good for a eight year old for that, you know, 17 year old babysitter. Uh, you know, that's just a, that's just a kid thing, you know, not being inappropriate. You know, obviously when you're a kid, it's just, there's that's anyway, moving on. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I think she captures that really well that, you know, she's, she does, I mean, she obviously looks older than 17, but she still kind of looks, I think, believable at being. I don't know if they say her age or not, but I was guessing she was, you know, she says she's a senior in high school, but I mean, senior, freshman, sophomore in college. Talking like, you know, I, I easily buy her as a sophomore in college uh, in this film, which is only, you know, you're only talking just a couple years. So I mean, it's not like a big, big stretch necessarily, but she really captures that, that just that look to me of, you know, that slightly older woman when you're like a young boy a young child, you know, I don't think really think people hire men to babysit, to be honest. So I think this might only be uh, something that the guys can relate to. Let us know, agevisit at gmail.com, if you're a female and had a handsome babysitter. That just seems like something that even in the 80s might have been a little too, yeah, a little a too much. I don't know. As well. What's that? A man could have a handsome babysitter as well. That's true. Absolutely. <laughs> but it just, you know, when's the last time you saw a movie where the babysitter was a male? Or any, or anything. Throw me off of the story a bit. Yeah, there have to be, you know. Uh, okay, <laughs> but uh, anyway. So yeah, uh, let's see where it was. Uh, do do do. Uh, right before shooting uh, a scene where they run through a, the trash-filled street, the Toronto Sanitation Department came by and cleaned up the entire street. So the production crew had to go through local dumpsters and throw trash all over the ground before the scene, because apparently the city has to be dirty. It couldn't be clean. City can't be clean, has to be dirty for some reason. Uh, and as a speaking out the multiverse, as we talked about last week a couple of times, uh, in this film and Back to the Future 2 and 3, Elizabeth Shue's character's last names are Parker. And she says the line, I had the worst nightmare in all three films. Or maybe not both Back to the Futures, but she says it in one of them for sure. Uh, strangely enough, the idea for this movie started in the 60s. With Jane Fonda in mind for the lead role, which of the 60s, yes, yeah, she'd be the bright age. Uh, it was abandoned in the 70s till Chris Columbus restarted it in the 80s. And by that time, Jane Fonda was too old for the role, so it went to Bridget Fonda, who withdrew from the project even before auditions began. Uh, so that could have been interesting. But like I said, I think casting-wise, I think they ended up pretty dang good uh, for this film. Uh, when the kids are driving through the alleyway with the car thief... The exterior setting is the exact same location that was used in The Fly in 1986, uh, which was also filmed in Toronto. So all those exterior shots from The Fly when they're like walking into his lab, they're outside. It kind of looks like an industrial area. 
uh, exact same location. It was also used several times in the Police Academy series and a film from 86 called My Pet Monster, which I don't think that's about the uh, toy, My Pet Monster, but uh, something else. Uh, the Playboy issue so- shown repeatedly in the film with a centerfold who just happens to look like Elizabeth Shue isn't real. It was a prop made just for the movie, but they had the photos taken of Shue at the Playboy Mansion. They flew her all the way from Toronto where the movie was filmed to L.A. for the non-nude, completely PG Playboy fi- uh, centerfold. Uh, when it, this movie finally came out way back in 1987, it was right around the time to kind of date it and relate it to current events. It was right around the time that Anthony Rapp said that he was starring in Brighton Beach, uh, excuse me, in Brighton Beach memoirs, in which he claims that disgraced actor Kevin Spacey attempted to molest him at a Broadway cast party. Uh, Rapp's outing of Spacey as an alleged predator led to a domino effect of dozens of other accusations from young men in the industry, eventually leading to Spacey being blackballed from Hollywood and society at large. Uh, so yeah, even if you're a good actor, you can still be a freaking pervert and you should get all everything that you deserve. Although he's, I don't think he's getting any jail time. He's just not acting. So anyway, uh, there was an adventures in babysitting pilot, uh, made back in 89, starring Jennifer Guthrie, Brian Austin green, the former husband of Megan Fox, who's now dating squirt gun smelly. And everything I've learned about, about both of those people was against my will. Thanks to Facebook and Joey and yo, or was no, I'm sorry. Was it? Whoa. Joey Lawrence was whoa, right? It was whoa. Jesse, you there? <laughs> I don't remember. I think it was Whoa, right? Just Joy, it was yeah. Blossom, whoa. wasn't it? Joe Lawrence was Whoa. Yeah, so Joey, Whoa, Lawrence, uh, never sold. So they did film a pilot, but they never, you know, I might be just one of those uh, undiscovered or lost media things, maybe. I don't know. And it was rebooted as a Disney Channel original movie a few years ago in 2016, starring that uh, Sabrina Carpenter. I know it's pronounced Sabrina, I'm making a Bloodhound Gang reference for those. Uh, who don't know, uh, Sabrina Carter, Carpenter, excuse me, and Sophia Carson in the leading roles. And so that's why when we tried to find clips for this movie, I had to make sure I put in Adventures in Babysitting 1987. So that's your trivia. That's your behind-the-scenes stuff score-wise. It's a fine movie. I think it holds up in, in, in some ways. Uh, it's interesting being Chris Columbus's first movie. It's still fun, still enjoyable. It's worth watching if you haven't seen it in a long time. If you've never seen it and you want kind of a Dose of the 80s, it's, it's a worthwhile pick. Uh, aside from, you know, a couple of F-bombs, it's pretty safe for kids, too. Like, it's, you know, if I, if I was watching some older kids and being, you know, technically, you know, I would, if, if they were, if I was watching kids, they would be related to me. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to go watch other people's kids. That's not my bag. Uh, but, you know, this is a movie I'd put on. You know, let's watch an 80s movie when I was a kid about babysitting. You know, a great double feature would be this and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Or depending on their age, this and Halloween, you know? Depends on the kid, but anyway, see, I'd give it a seven. It was, it was, it, it's fine. It's, it's, it's well made. It definitely, you know, it has that feel, that ambiance of the eighties in fashion. I, you know, just kind of the general feel of it and all that, you know. So definitely worth watching if you haven't seen it uh, at least once, just to give it a shot. And uh, I must say, some of the, one of the best cover arts of all time. I think the cover of the movie where they're all hanging off yeah. the building on the rope, beautiful. It has to be Drew Struzan if I had to guess. Uh, it looks like Drew Struzan. Maybe, maybe not. It could be off on that. But uh, the cover art, the poster art, the VHS art, beautiful art of them hanging off the building. Uh, iconic, I would even say. The logo as well. Like it's, it's really the marketing for the film is really well done. It looks great. 
uh, I wanted that poster from the VHS store just for Elizabeth Shue's painted face to hang yeah, on my you wall. You can see the signature here. Uh, is it Drew? Yep, Drew Struzan. Yep. That's it. Legendary, legendary uh, artist. Uh, Star Wars posters, also uh, Indiana Jones, tons and tons of work. Uh, fantastic. I think he's I think he's passed away a while back, actually. Unfortunately, I'm not hundred percent sure on that, but I'm kind of sure of it. I could be mistaken. Regardless, uh, again, this released July third, nineteen eighty seven, in the real world. A court in Lyon, France, sentences former Gestapo boss Claus Barbie. Not sure if she's he's related to Barbie Barbie. Uh, to life imprisonment for crimes against humanity. So I looked it up because I never heard of Claus Barbie. But this dude, he's a piece of work. Uh, is he dead? Vi- uh, I almost said Violet. He's alive. <laughs> Thank, okay, th- sorry. My mistake. No offense to Mr. Drew Struzan. I, I thought... Uh, years young. Yep. So he's still alive and kicking. One of the best movie... One of the best artists, living artists out there, I'd say. Uh, fa- uh, fantastic style. And I... Absolutely iconic works uh, of from every genre and everything. So, but uh, yeah. Anyway, talking about Claus Barbie in the real world in '87, uh, he, on July Fourth, one day after the uh, Adventures of Babysitting released, he was uh, sentenced to life in prison. He was a German operative of the SS who worked in Vichy or Vichy, France, uh, during the Second World War. Uh, he became known as the Butcher of Lyon. For having personally tortured prisoners, obviously mainly Jews and members of the French Resistance, as head of the Gestapo in Lyon. Uh, after the war, big surprise here, guess what? The United States Intelligence Services employed him for his anti-communist efforts. Because the enemy of my enemy is apparently my friend, even though they were a torturer and a butcher. And you know, if their, if their nickname's the butcher of something, you probably should just not work with them and just take them out. Uh, anyway... So he, uh, he, they, the U.S. aided in his escape to Bolivia, where he advised the regime on uh, how to repress opposition through torture in Bolivia until he was extradited back to France in 87 and thus imprisoned for the rest of his life, which I believe, if I remember correctly, the Wikipedia article was only about another six years. So he served hardly any time for being a complete Nazi son of a bitch. So there you go. That was the real world. Uh, back to the future this week. As I mentioned last week, I was saving it for this week, so I have something to talk about. Uh, but a couple last week, I did actually watch uh, the latest David Cronenberg film starring uh, Viggo Mortensen again. They're a uh, Tim Burton, Johnny Depp duo these days. Uh, uh, Crimes of the Future, fantastic movie, creepy, really, really messed up when you're thinking about it. But damn, the ending, great. Uh, one of those movies, you know, it's, it's David Cronenberg, so it's bot, it's obviously body horror. Uh, is it as good as The Fly? No. Is it as good as his son's latest movie, Possessor? It's 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 up there. It's just that the uh, Crimes of the Future it hits at the end. It's be- it's beautifully done, well acted. The soundtrack bangs. Uh, but like once you once that ending happens, you're like, damn, <laughs> and you're done. <laughs> Kind of thing, you know. It's kind of a one and done movie, but it's still an exceptionally good movie if you like Cronenberg. If you don't like David Cronenberg's movies, you're not gonna like it. Don't try. But uh, it was pretty good. Uh, Jesse, did you manage to uh, jump to finish Stranger Things at all, or are you still working through it? I finished Stranger Things and I finished um, Obi Wan. Awesome. So uh, I know we uh, talked. I gave my thoughts on Obi Wan last week. 
uh, tippy-toeing through the landmine of spoilers and hints of what happened. But now that you finished it, uh, what were your final thoughts on it? Um, it was fine. It felt like, um, I don't know. I, I don't think the stakes were too high because everyone's safe. And, um, yeah, I just felt it was fine. It was worth a watch, but it was, wasn't anything that blew me away. Well, I mean, I agree. I mean, the last episode blew me away mainly because everything else was just like, okay, okay. Like exactly what you said. Just, I know there's no, like, Nobody's gonna die here. I mean, I, you know, you knew exactly who was on the chopping block, right? <laughs> you know, that goes without saying. Let's not be silly. Yeah. But uh, you know, my opinions like that last episode again. You you knew nothing. You know, nobody was going to necessarily die, but that confrontation was what what I, at least I could say for sure. I wanted to see to that level because when they met, when Vader and Obi Wan faced off, and I think episode two or three, I was just like, "This is lame." Hmm. God, I hope they like. God, I hope when it happens again at the end, of, you know they have to meet up again because they're laying that that thread for the series that it's better, and it was so much better in that last episode to me than you know him Obi Wan just running away from Vader in the sand pits or the uh, construction yard in that earlier episode. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, I saw a great meme. It was like, maybe I said it last episode too, but it was like you know, can't wait for Obi Wan. You know, everyone's like, oh, we want a season two of Obi Wan. I understand what they're saying. I wouldn't mind it. I mean, McGregor as oh, that character is fantastic, but we already have a season two of Obi-Wan. It's called Star Wars, A New Hope. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's still but, uh, Stranger guess, Things. But, you know, yeah, else? I mean, there's, there, you can still tell stuff and introduce stuff, you know, but again, you know, that's, you know that's the ends. only bad thing. I want to see more Obi-Wan, but like you said, there's no stakes for him. Yeah. Unless he dies in a clone or, you know, they do some really whack thing just to have some, some, you know, plot point or something, you know, which they wouldn't do if they right. did. It's not going to fool anybody, but, uh, yeah. yeah. So stranger, moving on to stranger things. So, so what do you think of stranger things? Season four? I enjoyed it. Um, very long last two episodes, but yeah, <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was still kept me in, um, involved and interested. So yeah, I liked it. See, my, I thought season three was was fine. Like, honestly, after season three, I didn't want any more. Except mm-hmm. for maybe like 10 years down the road where they're all grown up and you do kind of an it thing where like it's back. <laughs> and they, you know, they come back as adults or even their kids or something, which I guarantee you they're probably still going to do that in 10 years or so. Even though they say season five is the last one. Nostalgia is a, a flat circle. So it's going to come back around and they're going to have the Stranger Things season six where they all come, you know, they're adults now because – We've we've watched these kids grown up, and I would want to see that too. Ten years from now, ten fifth, whenever they they're eventually inevitably going to do it, yeah, I'd want to see it. But I thought the ending of three was fine, although I don't. They shouldn't have had the the Hooper sting at the end of season three. They should have left it like you know he's dead because it was no, it was zero surprise that he was alive. Like it shouldn't have, it shouldn't have been if you paid attention mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the season three. You know, though him like eleven reading the letters. The letter that he wrote about you know leaving the door three inches, which they referenced in the last episode, which was great. Yeah, that uh, was you know great moment for that. But uh, and then you know, they go their they go their separate ways. That's that's growing up. You know, you have friends that move away, and you and there's nothing. You know, that's the real thing that like that you you know you can fight the demogorgon or whatever. But you know, if your friend's parents are moving for a better job or for whatever reason, you know, to get away from a cursed town and you're stuck there, that's part of growing up. And personally, I thought the end of season three was like that's that's a nice little you know bittersweet ending. Like I'm ha- I was happy with it, you know. It's, it, you know, 
like Dante and Clerks. You know, it's a downer ending. It's, it's 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 happy and sad at the same time, you know, because that's life, and I think that's what it really kind of captured. But now, season four, you know, going into it, like I really didn't feel like we needed season four. To me, as a whole, season four delivered. At, like I was thoroughly invested. They they grew the characters how they needed to. For me personally, uh, I think they did Max dirty by <laughs> what happened to her at the end, keeping her alive after that. Yeah. Uh, you know that's pretty brutal. You know, they, I mean, was is it worth her being crippled for life and blind? You know, basic. I'm sure she'll be fine in season five. Let's not. Uh, yeah, let's they'll, not, they'll uh, use her some way. Yeah, you know so. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we, they introduce a new character that you fall in love with. Obviously, spoiler alert, obviously, I haven't seen any of this now. I guess we should have said that earlier. But, I mean, come on. You know how it goes when people start talking about things that you haven't seen. You need to turn it off right away. Uh, you don't need to be told like a child that people might spoil something. We're all adults here. If you listen to a movie, a podcast about 80s movies, you probably are definitely an adult, most likely, or pretty damn close. Uh, but, you know, of course, they introduce a new character. Just like in the Harry Potter series, they introduce a new character. A new teacher comes to the school. They're the villain. That's the way it works <laughs> in Harry Potter. And in Stranger Things, they introduce a new character. They're going to die. Uh, <laughs> although, honestly, again, like I said earlier, people, you know, when he's dead, it was sad. Yeah, it was a sad moment. But they never show the body of him when he's dead. I, I would not be surprised at all if he comes back. I'm not saying he isn't dead. But let if I think he's they dead. Don't, I, mean, because uh, I mean, right after that, they did two days later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So but I guess the things is, have wrapped. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. I've we're having some sound issues today, so I'm having trouble hearing anyway. <laughs> sorry about that. But all I was gonna say was like I, I understand. Like I, I think he's dead. Like honestly, I do. I do think he's dead. But I am not gonna be surprised if he shows up alive somehow in season five, because uh, you know, again, it's two days later, and he still they still think he did it all. He's still a fugitive, so they're not going to say like he's. They can't. They couldn't. You know, they had to would have to attend to him. You know, he could. He could be like at a safe house still, possibly. They, I'm, all I'm saying is there is a way that is believable that he survived. And oh, Dustin talked to his dad or or uncle, whatever. Well, yeah, because he knows that Eddie's a hero, but he still can't tell anybody whether he's dead or alive because oh, I got you can't you. reveal he's alive. And if he's dead, it's the same thing. You know, it's it's the same scene whether Eddie's the same scene works whether he's dead or alive. Good point. It's just it's just sadder. It's sadder if he's dead, but it's still sad if he's. It's not quite as sad. Justin's acting. The uh, Gaten, whatever his name is, Gaten Mascalano, whatever his last name. I don't. Sorry, Gaten. I don't remember your last name. Remember your first name because it's so unique. Uh, but his acting tells me that he is actually dead. But again, but nobody. Again, yeah. You could play it, you know, if he shows up, I'm not, again, I think he's, I agree with you, Jesse. I do think he's dead. It, it, it really, you know, however, like I said, I didn't think we needed season four. Season four was amazing to me. Although the 11 stuff, flashback stuff to me, that, that was the only weak part of it. They could have cut that crap in half because the second Vecna sh- or uh, number one showed, or that dude showed up, even before you knew he was number one, I was like, okay, he's, he's, this is, this is, it's, it's so, it's, it was too telegraphed. Uh, yeah. And it was just like, come on, get on with it, get on with it, get on. And they, you know, they spent in an hour and a half episode, two hour and a half, three or four hour, no, maybe three hour and a half episodes. They spent 45 minutes going over it. It's like, we got it. I got it. <laughs> let's let's get on with it. Uh, again, that's a nitpick. Love the series. I was happy with it. I now have confidence that since they are doing a season five, that it will be what it needs to be. Because that was my worry. Like to me, it, season three was the best season. 
season four was pretty damn good. I do think I do think season three is better because I did like the whole Russian subplot, the Red Dawn s stuff, and I like the Steve, the original Steve and uh, Uma Thurman's kid. I, f- oh, I forgot her damn name uh, in the show uh, plot line, working at Scoops Ahoy, and then of course the um, the Billy and Max and all that storyline. I thought was really really good in yeah. season three. But uh, so season three is still probably my favorite season. But like I said, I, they, I think the Duffer brothers have proven that if they, they're do, they do a season, if they know where to take it. So think, you know, I I do have expectations, whether they're misplaced or not for season five, ending it as it needs to be. Cause they have said that they've, they got, they, they kind of know where they, they, it needs to end and that's where they want to end it at. So I trust them until they screw it up. Maya Hawk, but what's her character's name? It's on the tip of my tongue. I can't think of it. Oh, the uh, character? Yeah. Um, Robin Buckley. I can, Robin. Thank God. Damn. I was like, I can see her. I can see. I'm watching the show in my head, and I can't think of when they're calling her name. Jeez. This is called age, people. <laughs> we all, y'all, if you, don't, if, you don't, if you don't deal with that now, you will. So, yeah. I was hoping to kind of maybe have gotten, gone to the movies uh, before this episode, but it wasn't in the cards. Uh, we did get an email from our good friend, Plane Pulling Tom. Because of course, last week one of the big, t- one of the tough guys, and over the top was none other than WWE or wrestling in general. He worked for multiple promotions. Superstar Terry Funk, uh, and Thompson in his Terry Funk story. So as he says, "Hey, you hip cats! Uh, great show as always. Love me some over the top. Another sly Terry Funk movie. The older that is older is in the seventies is Paradise Alley. Never seen it personally." Uh, Tom goes on to say, which is old time pro wrestling. Anyway, I got to tell you my Terry Funk story. One time at the Norfolk Scope under the NWA WCW banner, I uh, sat, sat ringside because I love going to the matches. Matter of fact, you can score a copy of the 1998 Starcade True Grit. And I'm all over one because of my size sitting ringside with that kid from the Wonder Years. And I have my face paint each side like the Road Warriors. Uh, camera guy, love my antics. So there you go. Uh, I'm not sure if that's on the WWE network still, but when I resubscribe, for uh, SummerSlam or Royal Rumble. I'll definitely try to look up that one, Tom. Uh, so he says, one night Sting is fighting Funk, and I was ringside with my Sting face paint and hot, hot, hot pink Sting tank top, gentlemen. When I tell you I was giving Funk hell, it is the understatement. The poor guy sitting next to me was laughing so hard he had beer coming out of his nose. Uh, Funk kept looking over at me, and the crowd is going nuts. I think Sting was laughing, too. The straw that broke the camel's back is during one of the many Funk got Sting in a headlock to catch his breath. As I jumped and said, that it's it, Funk. Put him in the polygrip. Funk lost it, stopped wrestling, and came at me. <laughs> I jumped out of my chair and kept looking up. Funk is a lot taller in real life. Huh, that's interesting. He seemed kind of, I don't know, I guess my height, I guess. I'm not sure how tall you are, Tom. Um, he looked down at me, wow, and said, you look like a painted face pasty. <laughs> I said, quote, I'm going to break your back if these Norfolk police weren't here. <laughs> wow. I guess he didn't know you're, you're you know, of an eventual plane pooler uh, there, Tom. House lights came on, refs and cops run up, and Sting is laughing his ass off. Wow, great story there. Uh, he goes on to say, anyway, tell your friend, what's his name? Room Cleaner, Doom Houser, Loom Maker. Doom Slayer, my friend. Doom Slayer. Uh, anyway, if he wants a shot at the Mid-Atlantic title, it's good to have goals. After the last battleship drops anchor, puts him either the brig or the decommissioning, the Gloom Baker will be not be tamping out, but river dancing. <laughs> so you hear that, uh, Ben? If you, want the, if you want the title over here, you got to come take, uh, take on plane. T- you got to have Doom Slayer. Coming out against Plane Pulling Tom, so that'd be a you know, that's, that'd be a face on face match, I guess. Tom, I'm assuming you're, you'd be coming as a face. Uh, although with those antics, sounds kind of maybe you might be come uh, off as a heel. I don't know to some people, heel. so we'd have to see. 
Might have to have a, somebody might have to turn in that match. Ben just turned, so I don't know. We got to see, but uh, that will be definitely some that'll be some something fun to imagine for sure. So as always, Plain Pull and Tom, thanks for the email, and that's awesome. I've I've only been to, I hate to say it, I don't not so much hate to say it, but I've only been to two wrestling events in my life. Unfortunately, one was uh, TNA in Baton Rouge, which is great because Earl Hebner was there. Got to meet Earl Hebner, the ref who screwed Brent. Nice guy though. Uh, can't complain. And then, of course, WrestleMania 30 in New Orleans, which was my first real. The TNA one was fine. It was a house show, though. But um, oh, uh, WrestleMania 30 was my fir- my personal first actual like WWE at that or yeah WWE at that time production. And it was you know I had a it was I had a ton of fun. It was a blast. And of course, the first time I get to go to a WWE event. The Undertaker loses his streak. So I, I hate to say, I think that might have been my luck. Like, of course, I'm winking because it's predetermined. Yeah. But uh, my luck, the one time I get to go see The Undertaker at WrestleMania, it's when he loses. So, <laughs> nevertheless, great memories, fun time. Jesse, you and your wife were there. Our friend Daniel was there. Autumn was there. She said she fell asleep, but I don't <laughs> believe that. But that was a blast. So, And, of course, if you've got an email and you want to sound off here on the podcast, 80srevisited at gmail.com. On Facebook, 80srevisited podcast. On Instagram, 80s underscore revisited because somebody beat me to it. Mm. We were related to for Instagram, so it's understandable. <laughs> but as always, uh, shout out to our good friends near and far. Uh, John with his Cajun Toy Review on YouTube. If you're a toy collector, give it a shot. Check out uh, his channel. I love watching him open the blind bags because – Sometimes it's when, when you're, I'm a, I'm a, I, I just have bad luck. Uh, general, generally, you know, I'm being facetious. I've, I've had a lot of great things in my life, but you know, so I always have that like, oh, I missed it by a week kind of thing, you know, or whatever. That's just my luck. But anyway, I like watching people have worse luck than me or luck equal to me when they buy like a blind bag. You, you get that, you get a blind bag. Oh, it feels like something big's in here, and then it's a, a friend's coffee mug or something, which I would have more fun dropping on the concrete, leaving the store, than ever using it. And of course, TCW. Uh, I was going to say standout, uh, which is acceptable. Uh, superstars, where I was looking for Doomslayer Ben Wyatt over there in Australia. So uh, everybody, check out TCW Tasmanian Championship Wrestling. Uh, and uh, I know Ben shared with me his match uh, privately through YouTube, but I know it's pu- it is public now. I did see it on like uh, on the public channel. So if you search TCW Doomslayer, you'll probably look for his unmasked match. Uh, great match there. Uh, always like seeing. Our, my friends succeed at what they love. That's just great. Uh, it's called Doomslayer at versus at Joel Hagen. Uh, oh, that's the highlight one. But uh, that, that'll give you a taste of it. That's, that, that is all the big spots that made me go, oh, crap, I hope Ben's not dead watching it. <laughs> so as always, I do. You know, it would be really nice if you left a review, good or bad. Uh, all I ask, if it's a bad review, say why. And if you can, we don't need a one-sentence thing while we're bad. You know, it's like, I don't like his political views because dot, dot, dot. You know, as long as you're truthful and accurate about what you're saying in the reviews, we love to hear them good or bad. But don't say we hate Spielberg when that is not what we said at all. And by we, I mean me. (laughs) So, And don't say we're super woke when we make one comment about politics. So, And we're right anyway. So (laughs) take put that in your pipe and smoke it, whatever. (laughs) So anyway, next week and for the next two weeks, we got a theme, baby, because uh, in two weeks it is Shark Week. But leading up to Shark Week, we're going to quench your thirst for shark-related content. It's going to be Shark Weeks, plural, here on the 80s Visited Podcast. We're going to do a Jaws ripoff and a shark movie. 
So uh, we're going to start things off with the ripoff next week. Uh, because remember, Jaws came out in, I think, what, 75, 76? I think 75. 75. I should, I should absolutely know that. I'm pretty sure it's 75. Uh, 75. But um, so but pretty much between 75 and 80 is when you had the biggest chunk of Jaws ripoffs. You know, Barracuda, Orca, those kind of things. Uh, however, we did, you know, the 80s, it did slow down. As, and we've already covered Jaws 3 and 4 on the podcast. And as you can tell by the quality of those movies, you can see where the shark genre was actually in the 80s. Uh, but nevertheless, so uh, next week we'll be covering Alligator, which is, you know, it's a, it's a shark week. Included in shark weeks, I should say, because it is a Jaws ripoff made in the 80s. And then we'll, uh, the week after that, we will have an actual shark movie. The legendary great white aka it's called great white in some countries but aka more widely known usually as the last shark uh, there was a recent movie called great white so if you're looking for it it's not the 2021 2022 one it is the 1981 maybe 80 yeah 81 uh movie starring vic morrow if you recognize that name go if you, re- you remember that name from our twilight zone episode episodes uh so go check those out uh, of course the father of jennifer jason lee died tragically and I, in, with John Lannis's fault, for my opinion, <laughs> accident on that. But uh, yeah, the last shark, it is a laugh riot. And I'll be honest with you, if you can find it, uh, watch it with the riff tracks version. It will make it much, much more bearable because it is a terrible movie. But uh, uh, the effects are so crazy and so funny. It is absolutely hilarious. And Jesse, I see it looks like the whole Rift Tracks might actually be on uh, YouTube. So uh, uh, I would suggest watching it with Rift Tracks because it will make it incredibly enjoyable for you as opposed to watching it without and just being like, oh, my God, consistently. Because if you thought Jaws 3 was crazy, if you thought Jaws 4 was ridiculous, if you've seen Megalodon Part 2 on Sci-Fi or Sharktopus, you're still not prepared for Great White, a.k.a. The Last Shark. So that's what we'll be covering in two weeks. But again, next... <laughs> uh, it's just silly. Uh, but ne- again, next week, Alligator, we're doing the Jaws ripoff. And then the week after that, we'll, uh, to prep you for the actual Shark Week, Shark Week, which starts the week following that on Discovery, plus an actual Shark movie. So, And I'll put up the graphics for that on our Facebook and Instagram and all that very shortly after I post today's episode. So until then, everybody, I humbly ask that you stay safe, be kind, and uh, I will hopefully remain in one piece with all these sharks out there. Because I mean, we got sand sharks, lava sharks, ghost sharks, air sharks, shark the pusses. Yeah, all these things. So you got you know, shark attacks happen everywhere, people. Just because just because you're not at a beach in Amity, you know, don't think that you're safe from sharks. So, but until then, I hopefully remain in one piece and Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga!